Welcome, perfect stranger. My name is Valerie. I see myself as a nomad with deep roots. I'm fascinated by our cultural differences and at the same time by what we all have in common. The more I meet people from diverse backgrounds, the more I learn about myself and the world. In this podcast, I would like to give you the opportunity to experience it by stepping in somebody else's shoes for a moment. Hello, today I'm very happy to introduce Jessica. She arrived in the US more than 20 years ago from China. She has worked as a brand manager, but since a few years, she has thought a lot about the society in which she lives, the division, and what she can do about it. And she decided to become a community builder, so she will share with us what it means to her. What's missing in today's world is a common life experience. The common life experience, it's not about how you grow up, how I grew up. It's about in the society, what can we find that bring two completely different people together? And also a very essential point for her is how we can work through the education system so that our children can have an experience and the knowledge about how you live with other people and you find common ground with them. We needed to train the children to see other people, to consider other people, not just ourselves. So, are you ready to listen to her? Hello, Jessica. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to have you because we never met physically, but we met online in a workshop. And I really enjoyed all the enthusiasm and professionalism that you brought with you. So I'm really glad to be able to know more about what you are doing. Oh, thank you. That was a wonderful experience. I had so much fun. <laughs> yeah, working with you in the uh, Story Skills Workshop. So you have different hats. You have a, a podcast called Duct Tape Rocket Ship. Yes. And then you are a community builder. Yes. And you're also a brand strategist. Yes. So as you know, my podcast is about people who move to new places. And so you are of Chinese origin. You grew up in China. Yes. And I think you did your bachelor degree in China, in Beijing. That's correct. And then you moved to the United States and did a master's degree in finance. Yeah. So I'm very curious to know how all, all this led you to become a community builder. Thank you for the question. It's actually, <laughs> how long do you have for the <laughs> podcast? <laughs> uh, so it's pretty much covered my life so far <laughs> from college all the way to uh, what I'm doing right now. <laughs> you mean there, uh, is a, there is a link between all these things? 
Absolutely. It's interesting. Let me start to talk about what led me to do what I'm doing right now. And then we can move backwards yeah, to the experience prior to that and the how everything comes together. As you know, that our country has been polarized for quite a time now. I think what happened last year with the pandemic and also with uh, our previous president, I saw that so many people are um, angry at each other on social media. And also, we're not really working together when COVID hit, which caused a huge consequence that we all have to endure. It's a very, very hard. It's uh, such a heartbreaking experience to see that a country that you know, so um, advanced in many aspects, you know, like uh, the research technology that we're actually leading the world. But on the other hand, there's something missing in the society that's not working. So prior to this experience, I worked with my husband as a brand strategist. Part of a brand strategy work is to help clients to identify the purpose of their business and how that purpose resonates and connects with people. So the connection was an important part of the work that I was doing at the time. So when all these things happened, it's pretty big, right? It's very traumatic. It affects so many people. It affects almost everybody's lives in this country. I wanted to put the puzzle together and make the connection and then to almost like make a sense out of it. Why is it happening? What's missing? And eventually that I come to this conclusion that uh, people in this country, in the United States, we're all belong to this one big family. And the polarization is not really helping us to have a better life as we seek to have. I'm an immigrant. I came to this country because I believe I can build the life that I want. I think we all are. But when it's not working, a citizen in this country, I felt the obligation to contribute, to make it better, to help people find a way, get back to each other. So that was a fundamental drive for the community building work. And it's also so related to the brand strategy work that I did. Do you think that the fact that you are an immigrant made you more sensitive to this polarization? I think being an immigrant is really a big part of it. I think also being a marketer is another part. So there are like a two horses, right? <laughs> yeah, so being an immigrant to give me different perspectives on how things can be. It's very hard for people to imagine things differently if you haven't experienced it. My growing up experience is absolutely a big part of it. I'm also an Acumen Academy Circles host. So what the circles does is to gather people around. We talk about moral values, which I found is missing from the public schools in the United States. In China, 
I experienced. I had a moral value lessons since I was in the first grade when I was six years old, and、uh, the moral value lesson actually went from first grade all the way up to middle school, and we don't have it in high school. Yeah, but in college, there are some like curriculums about、uh, you know how to practice、uh, ethics. You know how to look at the professional ethics when you're at your job, and I think that's also largely because of the、uh, Chinese culture and Chinese history. The moral value lessons is not really based on religion or the politics. A lot of people would think that it's probably based on propaganda. And I cannot say it's completely free of propaganda, but it's more focused on humanity. Because the stories I learned as a very young child, it's all about the stories that are from legends or the stories from Ming Dynasty, Qing Dynasty, from the history. The stories have been passed on generations from generations. So that's a very important part that I see that's missing, but I know how important it is. So when we talk about like a racial equity, the、uh, systemic racism, or we're talking about inclusion, building the in- inclusive culture, it all based on the moral values. It all based on that how we see each other as a human being, not based on the color of our skins or the hair or. You know the religion or politics. I believe that、uh, it's a very important values that we have as individual, as a family, and also as a community. Another thing is that I grew up in a military family. Both my parents are Air Force officers, so I learned the concept of, of community from. Very very young age, <laughs> I spent my like the first year of my life was my grandmother, which is outside of the Air Force. But from three year old all the way when I came to the States, I lived in the Air Force campus, which is a very typical concept of community. There's a lot of a misunderstanding about what community is nowadays. People think that. Oh, I can refer community as a geography. As long as we live in the same neighborhood, we can call it a community. But it's not really true. <laughs> According to Charles Vogel in his book *Art of the Community*, a group of individuals who share a mutual concerns for one another's welfare is called a community. So it emphasizes the social connectedness. When I can say the Air Force campus is a community, because truly that everyone working the that one campus cares about each other. It's a very close knit place. I think it's very typical of the military. I've heard that several times that people when they get out of the military they are a little bit sometimes lost in society because they they know that they, when they are in this military community exactly they they always will be there for each other. It's very Yes, close knit as you say. So then it's hard to to find a community where you can have this feeling. Yeah, it's so true. It's actually from the both sides, from both the you know the people's physical needs and the emotional support. Because I see I see that both happening in the community that I grew up in. 
as a child, I've never joined the Air Force, so I'm o- almost like you know observer of a community that's happening in front of my eyes, right? Also, I experiment other communities outside of the military because I attend the schools, I attend the college, so I can tell the difference. I think that gives another perspective about like what a community looks like and how can that be for people. Also, you know, like overall for society. So you have this Hatters community builder, and also you have this podcast who is about public school. Yes. So all. Oh, are these two things coming together? Because as you say, it's a puzzle. You are bringing pieces together. So tell me <laughs> the connection between yeah. the public school system and your job as a community builder. You have all these great questions, Valerie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while to draw the circle, <laughs> but I'm glad I'm drawing it. It's like a closing So both my kids are in Seattle public schools. You know, I was like debating when I first came to the States. I knew that a public schools, like especially for elementary level, middle school, and maybe high school in the U.S. are not the best, you know, the most competitive system in the world. I came from a country is known for producing <laughs> students, you know, with high scores, So before my kids was school age, I had this conversation with my husband about alternatives going to private schools because it would be easier, right? We just pay the money and go to private schools. But at that time, that I was a stay-at-home mom, and um, our financial situation wasn't really strong enough to allow us to make that kind of arrangement. So going to the public school is almost like the default, but you know, have never been in the public school system, so I didn't know what it's going to be like. And my husband have never attended the public schools in Seattle. He grew up in Midwest, so it was really new to us. And then we were thinking maybe we could see how it goes. If it's not really working as we expected, then we can make our decision. A couple of years in, since it started, we started to understand the public school system better. But it truly wasn't until last year when I finally realized what's important to me. I realized my kids' education was one of the most important thing. And I wanted to put more time and effort in the education, and I'm glad I did. Public education is something that every single child in this country deserves. Not only the public education is what our kids deserve, but also the best possible education is what our kids deserve. It is a process to realize this, and how I can contribute to that effort. Maybe my kids won't be able to benefit from the best education in the world idea or <laughs> the dream, but it's going to benefit other children. 
Krista Tippett interviewed Seth Godin on her podcast called On Being, and Seth said this: "We're flying too low. We build this universe, this technology, these connections, this society, and all we can do with it is make junk. All we can do with it is put on stupid entertainments. I'm not buying it. I think that just like resonates so much with me about that question: So why don't we deserve the best education in the world?" And I think it's very easy for every person in this country to say, "Well, it's so hard to fight with the system. Let's take an easier route. Let's go to the private school." Not everybody can do that. And also, the question I ask myself: If I don't do this, who should do this? <laughs> who I'm waiting for to do this? You know? <laughs> yeah. So. So you have this podcast, so you can speak about the public system with other parents. But when you speak about having the best education, and as you said, you grew up in a system where the education was very different, and you're gonna discuss with people who maybe had the different education experience growing up. So, oh, can you come with a common vision of education? Is it even possible, Valerie? That's such a good question. I actually thought a lot about what you asked. It's probably true that we don't really know what the best education looks like in nitty-gritty details. But there's a lot of research behind learning, and how does that combine with the schools? The education is all about passing the test, passing the grade level, and then eventually. You can move up, and then you you know you're capable enough to read and uh, uh, to do math at the next level. Go to middle school, and go to high school, go to college eventually. I do believe that the current、uh, school system, the way that it is, there's a lack of、uh, effective problem solving. So there's a lot of patching to the system. So when you're not solving a problem, the best way, or you know, more efficient, or aim for the long term, then it will cause issues. It probably work for this school year, but doesn't work for the next school year. That's what we saw in the public schools. So to me, the key point is problem solving skills. Like you know, how can we come together and solve this very complicated problems, and then to teach our kids. So they learn how to learn. That's the ultimate goal. So they are not afraid of any challenges or tasks that are thrown at them. I don't believe a rigid a school system that that's already like exist even in China, even in Europe, even you know elsewhere in the world is a model that we should copy. I don't believe that. You say we should use. All the research who has been done these twenty past years, but I think more like sensitive issues about school. If I come back to your acumen, academic circles, and what you said about growing up in a country in which they would teach you moral values, and I know that in your circles the idea is how can we find a common moral compass, and I'm very curious. About that, because when you have a diversity of parents and cultures around the school, 
do you think it's possible to agree on a common moral compass that you would teach the children? The moral compass that I'm talking about, and also what's uh, talked in the acumen circles, is all about. If I can summarize it, because there's a like a twelve principles that we practice. It's all about like a seeing other person and the hearing the voices from everyone. It's all about inclusivity, and also emphasize on how we present ourselves, how we show up as our true self, because it discusses identities. You know, the big part about. Like discussing identities is not just simply to understand each part of our own identities, what that means to us, but getting a clarity on that so we can use all the individual identities connect with others that is share our identities. So I was actually in the, a webinar this morning talking about what's missing in today's world is a common life experience. The common life experience—it's not about how you grow up, how I grew up. It's about in the society, what can we find that bring two completely different people together? So, like in the school, if we see that a kindergartner and a first grader, if they are interested in the same project, then they can come together and work together. How they, you know, think about the possible ways to come up with a solution, or even come up with ideas, and how they share with that, just simply based on their interest. There's many examples, like you know, you and I, we get together because of there's a story skills learning that we found it's interesting. That's a common for both of us. If it wasn't because of that, we probably never have met. Our identity, on one hand, allow us to embrace ourselves as a whole person, but on the other hand, it allow us also to connect with other person, and then to identify the connections. So that's the kind of work that is not denying other people, because you know, me as individual, I have identity that I felt shamed of from time to time. For example, last year there's a COVID. And it originated from China. At that point, that I felt so guilty as a Chinese American living in this country for twenty three years, I felt so ashamed because how it was handled. It's just part of me. It's just part of who I am. And the understanding that doesn't really close the door for me, but opens the connection, opens the vulnerability. To connect with the others who experience a similar thing, because I have a friend that、uh, families are very biased towards race, so they felt the same way. See, from that point, that we actually have something in common, even though our backgrounds is completely different. The tricky thing is if we don't practice on finding the common ways, the common grounds, we kind of lost it in our busy daily life. It's almost like a muscle. So if you practice it more and being empathic, is a little easier, and then you probably would feel we have a little more tolerant to people that are not looking like us or not behave like us. Do you think that as an immigrant, it's easier for you to be inclusive of all other kind of people because 
you yourself the minority yes <laughs> i would say that's a probably the advantage i have that's a probably the something that's given to me <laughs> so i can do this work <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you, you you're gonna understand better what others feel. Yes, and at the same time, you are an insider too because you have been here for a long time. Yeah, so you are both. So yeah. you are the one who can do this type of job. No, you are an outsider <laughs> and insider, so you can know how to change the system, and also you have, as you said, this different perspective and this different comprehension and. Uh, creativity too. Thank you, Valerie. Thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that very much. I have to say I'm learning. I'm a student, lifelong <laughs> learner. <laughs> How do you envision the school system in which you think the children would thrive and be ready for their life? Dr. King once said, Education is about forming characters and training critical thinking skills. I agree with him. I think our society doesn't need people who are just as smart, who just, uh, you know, know how to solve problems, but missing the character part. I think that we all need to thrive on the both to make our world to be more sustainable and inclusive because COVID has proved, like many people said already, we can't live without each other. It's just not working. If we need each other, if we can only thrive when all of us thrive, then we need a character. We needed to train the children to see other people to consider other people, not just ourselves. Because everyone in the U.S., we're one big family, right? <laughs> But all of us live on the earth is a bigger family. <laughs> yes, yes. A huge family. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And uh, we have to work together to uh, tackle the really big challenges like climate change. And you think that school can teach that to children, the thing, this idea that we are all a family and that we have to consider each other and respect and work together. And you think it's one of the tasks that the school has? Yes, I do believe so. And you think it's lacking? Yes, currently there isn't a solid moral lessons in the public schools. The values that's very common taught nowadays in the public schools is be kind. I'm using this example, like, you know, when it's a Martin Luther King holiday, our kids are asked to read about Dr. King's story, you know, how he was on strike with uh, fellow community members. And then he was arrested and put in the jail. So he wrote that famous letter from a Birmingham jail. I just felt that the value of being kind and Dr. King's story, there is a huge gap in between. It's a very hard for my kids to digest and understand why Dr. King's story is so important for them to learn. But I can say with the proper moral value lessons, kids would appreciate Dr. King's story 
So just being kind is not enough. Yeah, you have to go much deeper to have to understand, exactly. to, to feel it. It's true because they present these subjects, but then it's like, as you say, for for this date and they work on that and then it's gone for the rest of the year and then they begin again, the talking and then and then often they encourage you to volunteer on that day. But then, yeah, you go back to your normal life. Yeah. You know, how does the merit from the story can be translated into daily life as a small practice for kids to do every day? That's you're going to go to the board of the education in Seattle and first you will uh, gather enough parents to petition. And I would love to have that. I would love to make that happen. I'm just like, uh, keep doing the work that I believe one step at a time. I have a lot of respect for you for doing that, you know. You are a powerful example. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Jessica, thank you very much for your time, for everything you said. I mean, it was very interesting. And I wish you good luck for all the future work. And I hope you will be able to make changes you wish to see in the school system and build communities around you that that, and I'm gonna follow you to know how things are going thank you so much Valerie (laughs) and uh, hope to speak to you again soon yeah me too (laughs) uh, meanwhile I will listen to your podcast I heard an episode today it was very interesting and good luck thank you Valerie that was fun talking to you